Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Today, I am joined with uh, Patrick McFarlane. Uh, how's it going today, Patrick? It's going good, Jacob. Thanks for having me on, man. Hey, no problem. Uh, just real quick, all the listeners, uh, got to drop this real quick. Uh, we have a official sponsor for the podcast. Uh, make sure and go to nadushaveco.com and use promo code RISE15 to get 15% off your order for a traditional stainless steel razor. Uh, it's something I proudly use, and it it just gives the best shave possible. Uh, Nadu Shave Co., where tradition beats modernity. So... Thanks for them. And uh, let's just uh, get into it. Uh, one thing we kind of started our conversation about was what was going on with the LP Mises caucus. So what's your opinion? What's your stance of like, what's going on? What's your uh, synopsis, I guess? Well, I think that one thing I've, I've learned through kind of what has been going on is just that Obviously, social media is not the best place to get things done and to actually mend these divisions. So I guess maybe like the the my main takeaway from this appearance would just be to to encourage people to pick up the phone and talk, um, because I think there was there was an incident where I think I kind of got into it with Michael Heiss a little bit um, just based off of that Twitter space with Dave Smith and um, Heiss and the LP, you know, and Jeremy Kaufman and stuff. But I think that, um, you know, Mike reached out to me, we had a phone call, and we really kind of are on the same page now. And so I think that a big takeaway is that Twitter is not real life. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah, at the same time, I think there are uh, real concerns that should be addressed, um, at least, you know, working with the, within those channel, those channels. And I, I think the biggest thing was, um, you know, I guess the elephant in the room is that Dave Smith is not running for president. And I think that <clears throat> Dave did his own Twitter space, taking questions from people, uh, addressing a, it. And, you know, this isn't anything personal with Dave or anything like that. Uh, he's a tremendous asset to the movement. And he's a he's a great guy that is, you know, has a lot of talent. Uh, but I, I think that a lot of things were addressed by him doing that Twitter space, and I'm glad that he did it. But primarily, I can't remember exactly who it was who had kind of come forward. And there were a lot of easy questions for Dave, and there weren't a whole lot of tough questions. And one of the questions that was posed to him was, well, don't you think that you owe us an apology? And he did apologize to his credit. And I think that um, the the reason why that question was asked is because a banner and I'm, I wasn't behind the scenes as a part of this. And this isn't, you know, a message from anyone in particular, but my impression was uh, that the whole revolution 2.0, the primary sales pitch of that was we have this great candidate. His name is Dave Smith and he's going to run for president and we're going to add tens of thousands of new members to the party and flood the coffers with new donations and donation money. Um, now I, I'll let you take it from there. Cause I could go on. Yeah. So my personal, so this, this is coming from somebody who is, or was a state organizer. I mean, here in 
the state of Utah, um, we're not super active. Uh, after the takeover, things kind of cooled down. You know, we didn't have that big uh, unifying person to uh, go up against, uh, such as the Sarwark regime was. Um, and so here in the state, I mean, resources are fairly limited, memberships fairly limited, although it is growing. Um, so the the LPMC Utah is more focusing just on the party here. Right. So we're not doing a whole lot. So that that's why I'm kind of like, I was or am a state organizer. Like we haven't stopped. It's just, it's kind of on the back burner. Yeah. Now I will say that I did get super involved uh, with the party, mainly because of the COVID regime that came down, it just seemed completely toxic. And that's why I started my show, all yeah. of the things. It was just like, now's the time to put my money where my mouth is and actually do something about this instead of just idly sit by and talk about libertarian philosophy. Um, I got involved because the idea of Dave Smith running. Um, I thought, you know, it, it was a great idea because it's a, it's a marketing campaign for a libertarian to run for president. Right. If, if ran correctly. And it's important. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's an important one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you reach certain people that you can't normally reach, like even Dave, like he can't reach these people normally, even going on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is, you know, 10 million people an episode. Um, and I just thought he would be perfect because everybody in the party plays like their own role. Uh, they're good at certain things. And we don't have too many people, in my opinion, that are really good at running for for president. Um, right. He knows how to handle hecklers, all of these things. So I was sold on the idea. Um, although I do agree that it's probably for the best that he doesn't. Uh, I now looking at things, I wasn't really upset about it, but I definitely did feel like it was kind of a kick to the gut. You mm -hmm. know, it's like they sold us that and then lo and behold, he doesn't. And I think sitting here, you know, I'm not going to pretend that, you know, if Dave Smith tomorrow said, hey, just kidding, guys, or something, I don't know. Actually, you know, I thought it over and I am going to run. I would be 100%, you know, behind him. He's the guy. He has the skills, the cred, all that stuff. And yeah. on one level, I think we're, we're in the situation where all this stuff has happened. Kind of the wind feels kicked out of us. But I think that there, there is some introspection to be done and kind of unpacking all this. But ultimately, um, we need to be forward-looking and recognize yeah. that at this point, these things have happened. Okay, and well, that's in the past. We're going we're gonna to analyze it and learn and take what we can from it and then move forward. And I think that when I, after the Twitter space with Jeremy Kaufman, Dave had not yet announced that he wasn't going to run. And this is something that <clears throat> I think a lot of people read the writing on the wall. And I, I was aware of it for quite some time waiting for an official announcement. And there was a lot of frustration expressed by quite a few people that the information wasn't being announced. And yeah. I've, I've expressed, you know, I've expressed this 
uh, frustration too to through the channels and there were explanations given to me which I understand I'm not sitting in that chair and I don't have to you know like as a lawyer there are things that I understand and grapple with that regular people just would not because they're not dealing with it in that position and I accept yeah. that you know and I think that everyone understands and and I specifically understand Dave's decision not to run you know I have three kids he has two kids and you know has dealt with a lot of stuff and I think it's yeah. probably the best decision for him not to run personally um but there was a little frustration with kind of the wait times and again there were explanations for that that were given um but I think at this point in time it's kind of you know it's over it's done yep. um let's move forward you know Dave is always going to be here as a, a fixture of the movement and a champion for us so oh yeah so I think it's thinking about that kind of licking our wounds and after public I think the Twitter space was probably not the best idea to do <laughs> um, but but yeah but it was these, a shit show <laughs> these things can be I don't want to speak for other people but at least in my experience these things can be fixed with a phone call and yeah. and maybe that happened maybe it didn't I don't know but that fissure between the LP and LPNH is going to be there but it seemed like there was this disconnect between, um, you know, people who are dyed in the wool meacocks, and some of them were still engaged, but I think others were disaffected because they saw the writing on the wall in terms of the struggle and kind of the state of the movement. And now with with Dave's campaign not following through, LPNH seemed like a vehicle for their frustrations. And when they're yeah. not let out in a healthy way, they're let out in unhealthy ways. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, conversations with Nina Turner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't oppose, but that's not something I would have done from my state affiliate. But I, I, that's I, also I, why we have different state affiliates. We can do different right. messaging. Yeah. And, and I agree. Like, I don't personally, like, endorse every message that comes from LPNH. But they're my guys, you know, yeah, I, they're straight up. I, I have loyalty, you know, so I will defend them. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, just kind of my last little bit on just the Dave thing, it's, I, I thought it was kind of a weak reasoning just because of like what we're facing, like the, just, it, it's like cartoonishly evil, you right. know, yeah. it, it's just, but it's truly horrifying and it's like you you got to look back on what our founding fathers did they they had kids too right you know and i'm not saying that everyone should you know sacrifice their kids at the altar by any means but it, i just thought it was kind of a weak reasoning like you could have just said i don't want to mm -hmm. but my personal opinion is that i i blame the party and the movement as a whole because if I was Dave and I saw what everything, like everything was going, I wouldn't want to be at the forefront of that. Right. That's not like, I don't think we gave Dave as a movement, a good enough reason to run. Like we as a party weren't a good enough reason for him to run just like the state of everything. And so I, I, in my personal opinion, that would be more of a valid reason in my opinion of like, look like you guys aren't giving me the reason to run oh i see yeah and i 
I don't know because for like for me, okay, I'm I have made attempts to get involved in like the Wisconsin Mises Caucus, and and um, I control my own involvement, right? It's not that I yeah. wasn't given opportunities to be involved. It's just that my place in the movement is with my show and with Scott Horton at the Institute doing the work that I do. That's just yeah. division of labor stuff. You know, I could okay. get more involved locally, but it just doesn't, a lot of the energy is spread out in Wisconsin and there's not, and people could correct me because I'm not there to know, right. Yeah. Per se, but just the impressions that I've gotten in the last, you know, two years ago when COVID was happening is that there was some energy, um, but, you know, you, you got to sacrifice all this time getting involved locally and doing all that stuff. And I know that my time is best spent if I'm going to yeah. spend it in the movement doing my show, reaching the people that I do. So, yeah. um, but at the same time, I think, though, that let's, again, I mean, things that have happened have happened. Let's pick yep. it apart, but let's move forward. And I think focus, too, on, well, where are we from here and what is... What is national doing, but what is state doing? You know, yeah. what are we doing in our state and how are we marshalling membership and donations and finding a candidate and making, setting, as people like, so with the Libertarian Institute, what is our role? Because we're a 501c3. We're not involved with politics, um, but individually, um, and, and what do we do with our work, right? We are a resource for people to use. And yeah. our position in the movement, and I'm not speaking specifically for the Institute, but the people who work there, our job, our role is to make the people who are out front be the best that they can be. Now, yeah. our role is different than I think what you guys are doing at state level or in the Mises Caucus itself, but we are here as a resource to, to help people and help you be the best on the issues that you can be. And uh, boy, what a resource that is. Well, I appreciate I, that. I, I use you guys is. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I hope it is. And I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, I, I definitely appreciate everything that you guys do over there. Cause yeah, I've uh, just doing my show or anything. Cause I'm, I'm also the communications director for the state. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I have to have good resources and luckily we have people like you. Um, really, just like my final word, I I blame the party really for putting all their eggs in one basket. We we should all know to never do that. You know, it, it, as soon as the bottom falls out, and then you have no eggs. And yeah. you know, Dave wasn't the end all be all of anything, anyways. And I either way, I support everything that he's doing. He's still doing amazing things, but then there's there's also other people that are doing amazing things, such as yourself. You know, there's I've noticed there there is an issue with certain people, and this is just like nationwide that aren't put in positions where they're going to excel. Mm -hmm. Not everybody needs to be a messenger. Not everybody needs to do door knocking or phone calls. Like there, we need people to do these things, but not everyone's good at it. And it's, there's no shame in that. Just let's put you somewhere where you are going to excel. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I think too that the communication is key as well. And I think that yeah. for, for a while, when people don't feel like they're being listened to, they lash out. 
and the way that they lash out is publicly. Um, but I think it's incumbent on us who have criticisms, constructive criticism, hopefully, to yeah. try to find, at least try to find the proper channels to express that um, before, like a vent, you know, venting off. I don't know if you have an Instapot or something, you got to vent out all this yeah. at the end. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like that to to make sure that your steam is going to drive the piston and that it's not blowing up the whole, you know, the whole engine. Yeah. And and I think um, you know, picking up the phone and doing that because then you get some empathy too. You get um like I mean if if you were to um if you were to call up these like my conversation with Heist, you know, we kind of went at it a little bit, but when I pick up the phone, I understand where he's coming from. We talk it out. You know, we we get on the same page. I think the same thing with leadership. And but again, I'm in a position where I'm not quite as in the trenches on the politics of it. And so maybe that was attempted, you know, because it's politics. Yeah. It's a dirty game. So I don't really know. But speaking for myself, it's like, OK, well, can I can I blow it up on, you know, or try to lash out because I'm angry on social media or can I just pick up the phone and call Mike and, or someone else? I mean, yeah. you know, whether it's Angela or Scott or somebody else and try and see the other side of it too, because I know there are like, okay, what do you do picking up a party that was like driven into the ground for 20 years that, <laughs> and there's little bombs left yeah. over in it for you to find and discover and, Hey, we need to like reinvent the whole system here, and we're new at this as well. So, um, but it's difficult. It's it's hard to. It is. Yeah. You know, I I would argue though that the Mises Caucus has actually been super super successful, regardless of what the haters say or anything. And in the way that I mean that is that people are paying less attention to national and are focusing more at the local level, which is the whole goal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like people can say they're upset with national or not upset or, you know, defend it, tear it down, whatever. And I personally, I think the people that are trying to set fire to the ship are some of the worst people. Cause it's like, you, you don't care about any of the, any of this anyways, you just want, you know, to be king of the toys and right that drives me nuts but outside of that like whether you're disaffected or anything you're focusing locally and so regardless of what happened at reno and everything after the L lp mises caucus is super successful in the fact that everyone's paying attention locally yeah and so but in i think i don't know if you were in a twitter thread where i was talking about this too but it seems to me like it's also of course, it's also important to have a national energy and campaign. Yeah. Then you inspire people by having a leader and then be like Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul yeah. inspired me in 2012 to get involved locally. So it's yeah, like same. You, you, you need that figure to inspire everyone and then they look inward or locally or, yeah. or whatever it is, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so... I guess, yeah, that all being what it is, I think communication is key, is the only thing <laughs> yeah. I've really learned from this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have to agree on that. But I don't want this to take up the entire episode. Sure. Um, so outside of that, uh, what is it that you're working on? Because I know that you 
you cover a wide range of topics. Uh, what, what's been a few things that you yourself have been focusing on as of lately? So I, I released, I, I've been doing my show. It was Liberty Weekly back in 2017. I kind of started the podcast and then it was Liberty Weekly for a long time. But a, about a year ago, I changed to Vital Descent because with the escalation over Ukraine, I didn't want to block out people who I could reach that would be turned off by Liberty branding. And I don't want to limit my audience to that because there's a lot of good people on the left who get the anti-war message and some of them get them, get it better than people on our side. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to block that out, but when I started in 2017, I always wanted to be the deep dive guy. Um, because I don't know if you're familiar with the Corbett report or James Corbett oh, yeah. at all. So he, he's my main influence in terms of like style, like, what do I want to do? I always wanted to be that and do that kind of content. So I had been able to do it, but it really just kind of over time turned into an interview show because interviews are really the easiest to do and least time consuming. You probably know as a content. Oh yeah. It's like, okay, well I could spend six hours researching a 30 minute podcast episode to put out this week, or I could call someone up and do a one hour long interview and spit it out. Yeah. Um, and, and when you're busy, <laughs> when you have a career <laughs> and you're busy, sometimes it's like, okay, well, do I want Liberty weekly to keep going? All right, well, let's dial somebody up and, you know, have a great conversation and have good content. But that's also the way that you grow really is sharing audiences and doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, the, the answer then is, um, you know, if you, I've had projects where I do deep dives speckled throughout, you know, when I get the the gumption to do it. Um, but I've never had the team around me and the resources to invest in creating high quality, like Corbett style stuff. And yeah. so in early August, I put out part one of a docu-series I'm working on, The Truth About Oppenheimer. Um, and I've always been interested in dark history and exposing like horrible government atrocity secrets kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely love that stuff. Um, yeah, and and it's really interesting too. And so, Mises Pieces, my my great producer, and he's a graphic artist, helped me put this together, and I was just blown away by the work that he did. So I'm currently working on part two. I have about five or six minutes of it written already. Uh, just need to find time. It's been a really busy first week of September, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I'm I'm working on that. I'm also, I have, um, I'm really working on building up my membership website, which is, it's at libertyweekly.club. And nice. I have an, I have like a newsletter. And so I try and put that out as often, like every other day I shoot for. And there's yeah. like, you know, bonus episodes and, and early access to articles and episodes and uh, behind the scenes stuff. So like my supporters can already read the script as I'm writing it. Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to do that. It's, it's been fun. Awesome. I, I've been trying to work on, I just released a Substack article. One, one thing I've noticed with the, the messaging, with it being such a vital part, I always have to remind myself, not everyone is where I am on the Liberty journey. You know, right. like I first found Ron Paul in 2008, I was still in high school, you know, and some people do need the go back to basics. And so I, I wrote, I wrote, uh, I don't want to call it an article, 
I don't know. I wrote something and put it out on Substack is just like the meaning of liberty. Uh, like what's five things a normal person can do today to start expanding liberty within their own life mm -hmm. and just kind of go back to basics. And I've been working on things like that. And in the background, I, I plan on putting out, you know, like a 10 part series of videos, just quick little things, 10 to 15 minute videos of like, what is liberty? Why does it matter? How can you fight for it? What's like, where are the bumpers on the the bowling lane, you know? Right. And uh, not really to speak down to people, but everybody, there's a lot more people awaken to this idea, especially since COVID and perusing the endless amount of uh, liberty-based podcasts or patriot podcasts, whatever, freedom-based podcasts, it, there, there's not a whole lot of basics. Right. And it's like, let, let's get everyone else caught up. Yeah. So. And, and I think it's one of the biggest challenges with creating content is finding out what you're good at, what your skill set is, and then finding yeah. out who your audience is and what kind of how to combine those things into a formula that works. And yeah. I think over the years, you know, I've, I've had, I've had metered six, I've basically been at a plateau for like five years. You know, it's around 2000 people per episode will listen or find my stuff and yeah. breaking out of that has been difficult. But I think with this formula, with the Oppenheimer documentary and content like that is yeah. the combination that works for me. I think yeah, I, I noticed the huge explosion on that. Yeah. Isn't that I crazy? watched it and it was, it was very well done. Yeah. Well, thank you. And a lot of that is, is Mises pieces. <laughs> I mean, I, I could try and I've tried to do that in the past and I have a certain level of video production I can do, but it's not at that level. Yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, he just has a talent and, but it's, it's a, it's a good winning combination for me, but it's, then it's a matter of like, okay, well, what, you know, I, I run a law firm. I have, three i mean it's just me at my firm but i have a real practice and yeah. i have three kids and a wife and all this i i buy way too many guns and mess around with those <laughs> and like so it's i gotta pick the things and it's like if i don't schedule time during the week to do like the oppenheimer documentary it just doesn't happen and it's so yeah. difficult to you know like do that juggle but um it's been fun and i find that like a, the best thing, the message that people resonate with, I guess, is fear and outrage they resonate with. But when you're talking about the liberty movement in general, it's like, we should try and be more hopeful and upbeat with our messaging. Because I feel like people respond to that, or at least they're attracted to it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's um, when I feel like I'm enjoying myself and doing those things that I love, doing this is not a job or a burden because then yeah. you get burnt out and I've been there yeah. done that. And now it's like, okay, well, Hey, I'm actually enjoying learning about this and putting it together and seeing the final product is, is so, um, it just makes you feel warm and fuzzy and yeah. that's cool. I mean, when you get your family, like friends and family who are like, Oh, you got to watch, you know, Patrick's new documentary, whatever. Then, you know, you've hit something that has appeal beyond, you know, just, your plateau yeah one one thing talking about like the the positive messaging i've really been pushing this this uh 
fact, you know, I, I say it and it sounds kind of comical, but everything is clown world these days. Right. So, but my personal opinion, and I, I, I know I'm not the only one that holds this opinion is black pills are a legitimate government psyop. Yeah. Like the, the, the spreading of hopelessness kills any sort of motivation to get any sort of resistance going before it even begins. Right. And so trying to like, personally, I'm white pilled, uh, you know, the, the oldest story known to man is good versus evil and good always wins. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy or pretty because it, it won't. <laughs> but if there, if there wasn't, does win. if there wasn't a struggle, what would we do with our lives? People like, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's, there's meaning in the struggle and things like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I would have to agree. And, so, um, oh, go ahead. Well, what's, being a messenger and on your side because you have a unique position i i believe in the liberty movement what's something that you yourself have taken away kind of like you know uh communication being key but like out of everything that you've done what's been something you've taken away i think that you need to have the ability to be to blow up the formula and keep reinventing. I mean, if you're specifically a content creator, someone trying to get a message across, if the message is not resonating, you need to change something. And if you're doing the same thing for so long and it's not working, you gotta you gotta blow it up and reinvent. Um, I guess it's the same thing with anything, you know, with business, um, that kind of stuff. If it's not working, you don't just do the same thing for five years. and uh you know expect things to change and get frustrated when they don't like oh if only if only so and so had me on their show or if only i got featured by x you know something like that it's like well there's a reason you're not getting that in that reason you got to look inside and be honest with yourself and be like well is my shit really just boring you know i've asked (laughs) that question so many times and the answer is might be a hard answer. And if it's yes, it's no, there's no shame or offense in it. It's just like, well, that's the way it is. So I think to, yeah, to think about that, because the hard work is there. The hard work and yeah. consistency. I mean, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be here five or six years later. Um, but if it's if you have those components, but it's not getting done, you got to take a real harsh look at yourself and be like, well, am, am I is the formula wrong? Is the topic wrong? Am I reaching out on the wrong channels? Why am I not making those personal connections that allow me access to an audience to yeah. sell myself? Aside from that, a lot of the thinking that that I've done is like, well, if you're someone in this space and you're trying to market yourself, you need a big project to sell. It, it can't just be, oh, here, you know, I do a podcast every week, whatever. It has to be like, I mean, think about all the big people. Sorry about that. Think about all the big people. Everyone has a thing. You know, Tom has all the books that Tom Woods has written. Scott has his books. You know, Dave Smith has Libertas and his new 30-minute special. There's mm-hmm. always a thing that to pique people's interest. Keith Knight has the Voluntarist Handbook. You know, so there's all these people that have the thing. And it's kind of like, well, if you've been in this for so long, and you haven't even studied like a marketing funnel or something like that, yeah. then that's something you should do and think about. 
And yeah. so I've been trying to do that and implement it is like, well, starts with short shareable content and then there's a medium length thing like my podcast and yeah. then maybe, and then there's a big thing like Oppenheimer, the truth about Oppenheimer's, you know, or a book yeah. or, or something. The, the big thing is what gets your foot in the door to sell yourself to someone else's show to someone else's audience. Like, yeah. So I guess, I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for in terms of like what my takeaways are, but I think those are the things I've learned, you know, re-examining and re-examining the formula being like, well, what's the, what's the variable that's not working here? No, I, th that's actually what I was asking. Yeah. So, uh, but I think you could also take that and apply it to pretty much anything because sure, even if you're, say looking for a job you can still apply that same formula like you've still got to have that one big thing that piques the employer's interest you know yeah or whatever it may be i mean that's the point to like a, a degree right like that's the one big thing that gets your foot in the door whatever it may be yeah or like some large accomplishment or something i mean to take it on a like a personal level like i've figured out that my whole shit Sorry if I can't swear or anything. No, go like, for it. My whole shit doesn't work together unless I'm exercising regularly. If I don't exercise yeah. or have some physical activity, like the sad voice in my head opens up again and I start listening to it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. that variable of, okay, well, let's get up and lift heavy things or run a long distance. That's what works for me. And so maybe it's just, you know, in anything, there's that one thing. Yeah. What is it if I change, it really makes a different outcome. So I do want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, kind of want to just talk about the, the, the state of liberty, kind of just where we are. I had mentioned how things seem to be comically evil these yeah. days. Um, but one specific thing I kind of wanted to nail down with you, because I know uh, you and Kyle have talked about this before, but is the big scare with China, right? Like coming from the right. Um, I, I talk to a lot of people, especially here working locally and everything, uh, talking to people on the right, the, the scare is China. It's, it's not Russia, but you know, the, the other big country. <laughs> right. So I guess why is China not the big concern that at least Republicans or the, the establishment GOP painted as? I think there are several reasons. I mean, one is just the, if you actually look at a map and look at where Chinese influence is in terms of its military influence, it's pretty, I mean, it's the South China Sea, essentially. And there's a reason why the South China Sea is called the South China Sea, because it's not the Gulf of Mexico you know, or it's not, you know, the, the Atlantic coast. Um, and, and I think, I mean, economically speaking, it, it's kind of situated around this fixed pie fallacy, right? That, that the pie is fixed and that a rising tide doesn't carry all ships when in fact it does, um, you know, China's success doesn't come at our detriment, except maybe in global influence. Uh, but if that's not something that you necessarily, I mean, Henry Kissinger cares about global influence, but does the average American care? No, they care about, you know, how much can I buy with a dollar? How, what is my standard of living? And 
when the United States and China trade with each other and we get cheap consumer goods, our standard of living goes up. So now is, is China a threat to global US domination? In a limited way, yes, because they might have more influence in it there near abroad. But in terms of us, you know, do, do we think that China is going to lock down the shipping lanes off their coast and not let ships come through? Good I, luck. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, of course, we would stop them or we would try to. We wouldn't be able to um, if, I mean, if it were to come to blows or anything like that. But, I mean, to think of China, in, in this instance, like, so Russia has been fighting a war against a country, you know, one-sixth its size, maybe less, and hasn't, I mean, there's a huge question as to whether or not Russia could even project power into Eastern Europe. Could they fight and win a war against Poland if they wanted to? I mean, they've been struggling to swallow Ukraine. I mean, I don't want, it's not a bleak picture for Russia. But it's been a long, drawn-out affair. Yeah, Ukraine's done way better than more people would have expected. But in, in to keep in mind, too, that you know Russia hasn't committed all of its forces to fighting, of course, because probably they want to hold some in reserve in case things really kick off. But I think we've been surprised by the difficulty um, that even large peer competitors to the United States have had in projecting force. And I don't think that there's any legitimate military threat at all. There's no argument that China could pose a military threat to the mainland United States. Um, and so, but to explain that to people who, you know, just know they've been primed to hate China their entire lives. I mean, people of our generation, it's not Russia that's the big boogeyman that we grew up with. Because yeah. we were kids in the 90s, man. Like Russia, yeah. what? It's gone. So yeah, exactly. It's always been China. You know, cheap Chinese shit. Oh, you don't want to buy that? It's from China. That kind of, you know. Damn Chicom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I Let me know if you agree with this. But sure. it kind of seems like, so the, the reality of China is that they, their economic um place right now uh, they're communist and that never wins just it, it doesn't work in the in the end and so it seems like if china was going to take dominance they have a very small window to do so i think um so that that understanding of china is not entirely accurate in terms of the fact like they are communist yes but they're not Mao communists. They are in in the 80s and 90s. Deng Xiaoping instituted what they called socialism with Chinese characteristics, and in many ways they have a freer market than the United States does. Even so, it's this Frankenstein version of like state capitalism in a way that has allowed. Um, I mean, some argue that it's the largest bubble in in human history. I don't know if that's, I mean, like a David Stockman talks about the red Ponzi all the time, but just in the same way that the United people have been saying that about the United States for so long too, there's, I'm amazed at the ability for these Frankenstein systems to keep going. So in that sense, I, as think, well. I think you're right though, in that sense, because it's like, well, 
someone's going to have to pay the piper at some point. It's just a matter of when and what that is going to look like. But there, there is reality to the fact that, well, China's had these reforms and they've voted super well. I mean, they've created incredible prosperity, a large middle class. And not to say there aren't third world areas of China, because there certainly are. Uh, but it, it's, there's prosperity that's, that's happening there. And there is global yeah. influence that's happening as well. But I think that the when when the USSR fell, we were in the US unipolar moment, they called it. And it's fallacy to think that that was going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it just it seems like a, not not to say China hasn't been successful at all, because obviously they have. But I think a lot of what success they have, they they kind of bolster, you know, they 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 fluff it up to make it look better than it actually is oh sure yeah and then there there's a lot of a lot of faith uh in whatever they have going on regardless of who has the faith kind of like our dollar like it it's a faith-based dollar you know it's it's really yeah. worth whatever supply is out there plus whatever people believe it's actually worth and, and they're nationalists too i mean they so the the chinese they called the last century the century of humiliation. So ever since the opium wars occurred and the Westerners started interfering with local Chinese issues, um, they've really suffered a series of, they've been subjugated by imperialist powers, whether that's in the West or by Japan. Um, and so all those, all those things contributed to this feeling of being slighted and being humiliated over a century. And so a lot of the Chinese feeling, I mean, they're patriots like we are. They believe in their country and their people and, and that kind of thing. So, of course, there's that, that same feeling that we would have in terms of wanting to believe in the power and meaning of what it is to be American. Um, and, and I think things, projects like the, the Belt and Road Initiative is, is about extending Chinese influence and, and trade and, and things like that. So... It's understandable, certainly, but I don't think, again, it's that fixed pie fallacy just because, you know, if, if people in China are, are, um, are experiencing prosperity, that doesn't mean that for every, you know, one person raised out of poverty in China that an American is, you know, descends to the depths of poverty. Yeah. Yeah, just just because somebody gets rich doesn't mean somebody else is poor. You know, right. Wealth is created, not stolen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now try explaining that to a communist, though. <laughs> or a yeah. Republican, too. I mean, it yeah. seems like they should get it, but they don't. I mean, there's... Yeah. I, I've, I've identified, you know, in my writing for the past couple of years, and I, I'm not unique. This isn't a special Patrick McFarlane insight, but there's there's two wings of the same bird. It's just... The, the Democrats have been bred to hate Russia for the last 10 years, and Republicans have been bred to hate China. And so if you, you create a broader consensus when you have, you know, the Democrats hate China, they're indifferent or aggressive to Russia, and um, the Republicans, they hate China and are, I don't know, at least some of them are, they're better because they are, they don't want to get into a war with Russia. But yeah. they're they're not the greatest on Russia either. Yeah, they're just better. So 
to turn things inward here at home, how, what do you feel the state of everything is? It, it seems when it, once again, comically evil, like we we've got lawyers being arrested. We've got pundits being arrested for, you know, January 6th. And like, it, it seems like an Orwell novel. It does. And, and I, so I've been, I know this isn't quite as inward as, as you just mentioned, but I'm working on a piece for my newsletter right now talking about the, the WHO's global pandemic treaty. And I've identified the situation where you're getting, you're getting like the globalist line from the Associated Press, right? That, oh, well, there's nothing to worry about with this global pandemic treaty because it doesn't, it doesn't hand over sovereignty like the Epic Times says it is. And it's, it's voluntary and it doesn't prescribe any specific surveillance measures or policy prescriptions for the member signatory countries. So it's nothing to worry about. Okay, that's bullshit. I mean, it might be factually <laughs> true, but it's not truthful. Yeah. Um, but the Epic Times, on the other hand, you know, they they are saying that, at least according to this AP article, the Epic Times is saying that this completely hands our sovereignty over, like we're going to be ruled by the WHO. Um, this is basically the ending of the United States if we assent to this treaty. And that's not completely true either. The truth is somewhere in the middle in that, you know, it, the, the proposed treaty does respect American, like member state sovereignty, at least to an extent. Um, but you can't sit here and pretend that these policy prescriptions aren't going to have a profound effect on domestic policy because people are going to follow them and the yeah. alphabet soup agencies are going to follow them. So it's a huge um, issue. And in a way you are handing sovereignty over, even if you're not officially doing it. And, you know, you look at the Associated Press and, well, sometimes you can rely on what they say. You can't always. They're towing the globalist line. And uh, the Epic Times, on the other hand, is run by uh, Falun Gong, which is a religious, a, a religious group from China who are dissidents. And they hate China. And they always try to pin the blame for COVID on China. And they're funded at least uh, through subsidiaries, they're funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, and it's a huge China regime oh, interesting. operation. So, and so you should look into Falun Gong. It's this like new age spiritualist group oh, that, <laughs> that owns the Epic Times. And uh, that doesn't mean that everyone at the Epic Times is, you know, some CIA asset either. It just means yeah, you gotta be careful. they're a cog. Right, yeah. And so you got to be careful the narrative you're getting out of there. And they sponsor a lot of libertarian events too. Yeah. Um, so any anything new age, you know, always <laughs> makes me weary. Yeah. Always makes me weary. So, and and I'm sorry, this is kind of a a long winded way, but it comes together to point this out. Um, is that you just have to be damn careful when you when everything is going on and it seems like the house is on fire which, and I'm not saying it's not, but to examine and be suspicious of both narratives that, oh, everything yeah. is fine and we're shoring this up and like the mainstream, I don't know, liberal, whatever, justice is being carried out and done. And the other side that, well, the Republic is dead, which, okay, yes, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but this is unprecedented in our history and they're jailing people like Owen Schroyer 
for being a pundit in speech. Like when you do that, and I'm specifically going to refer to Owen Schroyer and what he's the InfoWars announcer, because I've seen so many social media posts and even from libertarians who are saying that, well, this is unprecedented. Freedom is dead. They're, they're jailing Owen Schroyer for engaging in pure First Amendment activities. When that is absolutely not the fucking case, if you actually, and we need to be better than this, we need to actually read the court filings in Owen Schroyer's case. And if you do that, you find out that he was subject to a restraining order on January 6th that ordered him not to set foot on Capitol grounds. And that's the reason why he's facing jail time. It's not because yeah. he was engaging in First Amendment protected activities. It's because in 2019, he went to a House Judiciary Committee and he was he was charged with disorderly conduct or something like that because he was screaming and shouting during a closed yeah. hearing. Yeah, I remember watching that video. Right. And so as a part of a, an agreement with the prosecution to get rid of that 2019 charge, he agreed not to set foot on Capitol grounds. And that agreement was still in place on January 6th. And that's why he's facing jail time. So, um, and I guess overall, big picture wise, I'm talking, when, when you analyze that, I think it's important for people like us to try and really see what's actually going on and not buying a narrative about either way. Um, yeah. But that's just a specific example from the last yeah, couple of days. I, I would actually 100% agree with that, um, especially with people active on Twitter. If you have any sort of a following, you do have the responsibility to actually speak truth. Right. Um, and my personal opinion, the liberty movement, uh, more specifically the Libertarian Party, but all all of us, libertarian or not, I believe the ultimate goal, that the number one goal is to completely uh, obliterate state propaganda. Like you have to shatter, shatter their narrative. And the only way to do that is to be truthful. Mm -hmm. So, and, and to get the facts right, you yeah. know, we're not doing anyone any favors. Now it might be good for, for getting attention and getting, and maybe, I don't know, maybe the only way to get attention is to do those things. I mean, I'm sitting here with whatever following I do have, you know, which is not as big as some. But when you are putting a narrative out there, it, it can't depart from the facts. And yeah. the narrative, if the narrative is, well, they're jailing people for pure political speech, that's not what the facts are. Yeah. And in getting the facts right, let the facts be your guide. And if you can craft a narrative that gets attention from the actual facts. Sure. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does seem though that like, since propaganda plays such a huge role these days, um, it's, it's very clear that the state controls the narrative and the counter narrative, just like they control the left wing and the right wing. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's the same bird <laughs> it's, right. and we're all flying on it. Um, but just like the parties being bullshit, the narrative on both sides is 99.9% .9 of the time bullshit. Right. And the truth is usually right in the middle. 
And if you if you read uh, the filing that I found in Owen Schroyer's case, um, it's actually the prosecution sentencing memorandum because he's already pled to an offense, which is um, yeah. it's I forget the the federal statute number, but it's being in a restricted area. And the yeah. reason why is because right he had a restraining order and he wasn't supposed to be there at the time. But if you read it, I mean, the prosecution's memorandum is full of whiny bullshit about our an attack on our democracy and all that stuff but <laughs> it's clear that it's clear what the actual offense is because he pled to something and he yeah. probably wouldn't have pled to something if there weren't grounds for a conviction if his yeah. defense lawyers didn't take a look at it and be like okay well they probably don't have you on b and c but they have you on a and that's pretty clear so we're not it's not in your best interest to take this to trial because you're going to fucking lose yeah well and it it just it seems interesting that his case would blow up I, I guess because he has notoriety but i mean there are cases of people being jailed for speech right um, well and that might I, not be the only thing but it is happening sure and and i don't know like the specific cases of like Enrique Tario or other people who are receiving these ridiculously long sentences for what happened. I don't, I haven't studied those and I don't know the facts, so I'm just not going to speak on it. You know, it's, yeah. um, and if I wanted to, I'd, I'd look into it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, you know, just for his, his case specifically, cause I'm, I'm with you. I don't know the ins and outs to be able to make a pure judgment call, but on the surface, if you take, take it for what it's you know what's publicly known by everybody is just that you know his involvement with the proud boys or whatever is what got him because he was calling the shots for january 6 or whatever 22 years yeah. seems like a i mean 22 years regardless unless he did something really bad seems really really outrageous right yeah you know it is. And when you have, you know, the golden cow of this, there's this thing that exists called, you know, we put everyone in a special uniform and give them a title. And then that's the state. They're part of the state group and an assault on their, the, the holiness of that group is sacrilege. You know, that's <laughs> what it is. I mean, we, because that's all they have. They know that that's all they have. Like, we we see this faith in democracy and the the public the political process there's a reason why it has to be so ingrained from such a young level because that's what gives the state its air of legitimacy is that if um if we all get together and you know make these decisions that's magic democracy and it's the special system but moreover if there isn't some kind of system by which we can do that we get anarchy in the bad sense of the word and I mean, none of us are for that. Yeah. I mean, we believe in natural order and, and things like spontaneous order, but, um, but a failed state is not the same thing. And, um, yeah, I, I don't want chaos, right. You know, that's, well, going, that's not what I'm interested in going forward. I mean, it does seem like, you know, even, even in an idealistic society, you need some kind of faith in the system and the process. So on some level, I do understand it, but it's um, when it's an illegitimate process. Yeah. You got to yeah, indoctrinate people into following it. You know, I was 
speaking with a friend the other day and I was thinking back on, you know, early school period, you know, kindergarten, first grade, and just thinking about the propaganda that's pushed. And my, my favorite one still is George Washington and the cherry tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. George Washington never tells a lie and he chopped down the cherry tree and he told the truth about it. And I just, I find it so fascinating that we start kids so young pushing that narrative. So by the time they reach our age or older, you say something like taxation is theft and it causes people physical pain to think that the state could be that wrong. Right. Yeah. It's an intense thing. I mean, and, and that's why COVID was such an important thing because people who never would have been receptive to arguments that I was making suddenly became open to it. And, yeah. um, you know, within family specifically, all of a sudden there's, you have a shatter of the illusion that the state is this benevolent organization that would never lie and has our best interests at heart. And while there's a good reason why we went into Iraq and Afghanistan, because we, you know, we needed to, and it was just the state trying to protect us from terrorism. I mean, <laughs> once, once you realize, well, the state can lock us in our homes and force us, you know, coerce us into taking the vaccine and wearing masks all the time and bailing out people and that kind of stuff, you realize that it's not about your best interests anymore. Yeah. So you start re-examining everything. It's the greater good, don't right. you know? Right. You know, that's, uh, it's, it's what's good for society. Um, you that's know, hot I, fuzz, right? Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's interesting to me only because I, I see it from the other side what's good for society is what's good for the individual mm -hmm. in my opinion uh if if everything's good for the individual well society is the individual without each individual person there is no exactly. society so i i don't understand the disconnect that people make when it's like well yeah but but the big part you know the the top and it's like but the the bottom is where that starts right you know so how could you screw over the individual and expect things to go well for society? It, it just doesn't make sense to me in that, in that aspect. Right. So where, where do you see everything as like, what, what's your diagnosis, I guess, of what things are? Because my opinion is that if, if things were going super well for the regime or for the empire, the propaganda that's coming out, which is really hard. Like we're getting some major psyops pushed against us. That wouldn't be necessary if they were winning. And that's my take on it. I think it's a very tenuous time right now in history because when you, and even, even the eggheads, you know, who study like Thucydides trap for real, when they study things like that, uh, it's the transition of power between two great societies and great forces in the world that make it um, kind of a turbulent, a period of of of, um, of tumult. So I think that that could be one reason why is because it's it's a general feeling in people that are in power that this is a, a tenuous period of time. Because of that, the change in in power dynamics and and kind of the tipping point there. So. 
I think that in the next few years, my biggest concern is that, well, what usually happens during this time, right? A war happens. And, but at the same time, like we were talking about before, you have a responsibility to say what the facts are. And then maybe if you want to craft a narrative that conforms to those facts, that's great and dandy. Now, when Tucker Carlson goes on Adam Carolla's show and says, well, I would bet my house on the US and Russia being in a kinetic war within the next year, that's pretty concerning. But you don't know if that is, you know, Tucker Carlson, the CIA hopeful, or if that's Tucker Carlson, and I'm referring to his specific desire to be in the CIA when he was younger, that he was denied. Um, is that that Tucker Carlson, or is this Tucker Carlson the hero who, you know, is interviewing Donald Trump because he hates the regime and now he wants to interview Putin because maybe he can put an end to the war or, you know, help to do that. I don't know. I just yeah. have no idea. It's, uh, but it's entertaining as hell to kind of watch. So yeah. I would think, I mean, a war is my main concern with China and Russia at the same time. That's my concern. Now, this, Things are going to get wild and crazy around this election, but I think that generally things will be all right. I think. Yeah. I, I think that I, like the probability of things going kind of the way that they did last, you know, in 2020 is probably pretty high. Like we're going to have some shenanigans happen, but someone will win the election and that person will be president. I don't know who it will be, but that's what I suspect will happen in all likelihood. Like so I'm, I'm not here to usual. say, yeah, yeah. And I'm not here <laughs> to say civil war or anything like that. I don't think we're on the verge of a civil war. I don't even know what that would look like. Yeah. I, I you know, I know Tim pool talks a lot about that and I don't disagree a hundred percent. Um, I, I think we are definitely already in uh, like a hot conflict. I think it's just that warfare has changed. It's not people lining up yeah. on a battlefield. It's not going to be the civil war. I, I think we are definitely in, in some form of a civil war. Um, like this, this new generation, it's, it's an information war. Right. You know, and, there, and I there's, was... there's more misinformation and disinformation than ever before. I always go back and forth on that because it's like, no, we are emphatically, we are not in a war because if we're in a war, then that means we act like we're in a war and we fight the war. You know, I know exactly what you're saying and I don't disagree with it either, but it's like, well, if we say that a war is declared, like that we're basically at war, then we act it like it. Whereas we're, but on the flip side, too, if we say, okay, well, right now we're basically at war with Russia, and you use that as like an alarming thing to be like, hey, we're technically like, we could argue that we're at war here, and that's a big deal. So it's like, I want to have my cake and eat it, too. Yeah. <laughs> like <that. laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, I don't, I don't want to push that, that civil war thing either. Mm -hmm. Um because I, I agree with you is like once once we say it, it like it's it's there and people behave that way and that could severely escalate things to a point that can't be taken back right um and of course you know uh, peaceful options are always always the goal 
you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of just like non-compliance, you know? Right. Um, which my personal opinion is the the biggest thing people can do to really just fight back is pay attention to themselves and work on themselves. Mm-hmm. Take, take your health in into account and focus on that. And I don't know, get your news from memes, I guess, but don't, spread it around as if it is news you know (laughs) i think that the best takeaway from like the post-libertarian moment um was talking about now i don't want to be like the og or anything like here okay because if you go back in my archive and you look at some of the things that i was saying in the months leading up to covid and why i quit doing liberty weekly i was saying a lot of the same things that they were saying eight months later just saying Um, (laughs) but but i mean in, in all seriousness, I, I'm kind of kidding there, but I really was saying these things as I was like, like, listen, I identify this about libertarians because I am you and I love you, but you got to fess up to some hard truths about yourself and your life. And if your life sucks, it's probably because of you and it's not because of the government. So stop <laughs> blaming the government and do something about it. Like, um, so in in taking local action and having that i kind of i did those things kind of at the time but i was having you know having my first kid and trying to establish my career and do those kind of things so uh but i think it's so important you know you can make your life infinitely better by focusing on success and being healthy and treating yourself well and i'm trying to do that we'll we'll see yeah that's that's where my focus has been outside of outside of this i can't do shit in ukraine right i can talk and that's actually one topic i haven't really covered all that much it's just because that's foreign policy first of all isn't super something i i cover anyways there's just way better people you know i do talk kind of the big picture stuff with like china like we have and mm-hmm. but out, outside of that it's it's not my thing i can't do anything about that but what i can do something about is what i have for lunch whether i uh get up and exercise or i just lay on the couch as like a lazy slug right that's something i can do about and uh i can decide where i spend my money i can uh, decide uh, what information i consume and what information i put out there and affect my community around me you know, it's to me that that seems like I can I can affect the world a lot more directly focusing on those things than, you know, flying a Ukrainian flag and pretending I'm doing something right. So it, this this is why ultimately I'm white pilled is I, I still th- see things heading in the right direction if you know, everyone else would just kind of catch up to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, I think we'll wrap up here. Uh, this is a lot of fun, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I'd definitely like to get you back on. It's especially when you get more on, uh, the second part of, uh, the Oppenheimer. Yeah. Anytime. series because yeah. that uh, seriously, I watched the first part. I'll make sure and link that uh in the episode description because it was very excellent very excellently well done oh thank you it'll be like vitaldescent.com forward slash oppenheimer is probably the best place to get it okay um the transcript there with like sources linked 
Awesome. Killer. Uh, yeah. Do you want to shout out anything else where people can find you and everything? Yeah. And, and to be clear, the, the things I commented on the Libertarian Party are not like in my official capacity as an employee or a contractor and a contractor of the Libertarian Institute. So libertarianinstitute.org forward slash Patrick is where you can find my work there. And vitaldescent.com is where to find everything else. Um, you'll be like prompted to sign up for the newsletter. You can do that there at vitaldescent.com. But if you want to go right to the membership website, it's libertyweekly.club. That's the URL. So yeah, really awesome. appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. I definitely want to get you back on chat some more because it's always fun. I, I actually think these conversations like this is what's going to move us forward. And it, it's something little. I don't think it's changing the world, you know, like this isn't going to get me a Nobel Peace Prize by any means. But well, like like I said, with, you know, with Heiss, when I got on the phone with the Heiss and if, you know, I know like Dave Smith is busy, obviously he's as busy as I am. But when when conversations happen and there's, you know, things going on, the best way to do is just to pick up the phone and hash it out. And if it can't yeah. be hashed out that way, I guess it's too bad. But 90% of things can be. So I think for everyone listening, if in the in the liberty movement, you know, pick up the phone or go see people because things are touch grass with them in real life because it's it's not as bad as you would think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. So on that note, thank you everyone for watching, for tuning in. Uh, make sure to hit that like, subscribe, share, make sure to comment, do all these things. Our big tech overlords definitely like to make sure that uh, this show doesn't grow. So anything you can do like that, you know, subverts it, which uh, makes everything grow anyways. And uh, thanks to everyone for watching. Uh, make sure to go to rise to liberty.com uh, or rise to liberty.com slash links where it's the master link. You can find your preferred platform where to watch this or all the social medias and all of that fun stuff. And uh, hang out for a sec, uh, Patrick and uh, everyone else. Until next time, make sure and stay free, my friends.